Welcome to One Foot In, a podcast where we go behind the scenes of a person's LinkedIn profile and share the tips that we have learned along the way. Today, we met a VP. Sometimes you can equate VPs to be very painful people, hence VP. <laughs> this is Dylan, the Vice President of Human Resources in Adidas, and his calendar is wild. It started off the day with me connecting with somebody who's in Portland, uh, and she's a counterpart in learning and development. And that's my update there this morning. So Dylan talked about the rest of his day, and it fell under three buckets. One, restructuring administrative workload to China. Two, connection with people that ranges from networking to conducting interviews. And three, managing risk due to COVID across Southeast Asia. But wait, there's actually more. Uh, so anything and everything that's got to do with HR is essentially uh, in my day. Now my day starts really early, it ends really late. And I'm even talking to third-party partners as to how I drive transformation, um, leadership workshops, etc. It's hard to imagine anyone handling this amount of work. I mean, this doesn't sound like a day-to-day. If anything, it sounds like a week-to-week. But Dylan's life wasn't always like this. Just like you and me, he had a first job, and he learned to build up his capacity along the way. So, in today's episode of Director's Cut, we're going to hear about his entire journey getting there. From his first role in a more obscure company, the Swiss Management Forum Singapore, to finally his move into HR, right after this break. InternSG.com is one of the biggest internship portals out there in Singapore. I want to talk beyond the stats because personally, I have benefited from their variety of job postings that was on top of my school portal. So hey, if it works for me, I don't see why it won't work for you too. InternSG.com, check it out today. Talent Tribe is a job platform for early to mid-career job seekers in Singapore. Get an inside look into companies like Shopee, Sephora, Singtel, and more. Here, employees talk about what's it like to work there and see their office space. Apply for jobs and get actionable career advice. So I started following their Telegram channel, WorkWorkSG, and they share career hacks that actually work. Find them on Telegram at W-E-R-K-W-E-R-K-S-G, WorkWorkSG. Welcome to One Foot In. So believe it or not, Dylan started out in university just like you and me. And this was 20 years ago before he was the VP of HR in Adidas. It was there that he discovered what he wanted to do in his first full-time role. So I was in SMU and there was an interesting a module uh, with both Professor Pang um, as well as uh, Dr. Rohit Dalekan, who is the Dean in the School of Business for Strata University. So he was a visiting professor, prof was a faculty in SMU, and they were teaching a uh, final year module on leadership and organizations. And clearly because it's a subject matter that I was fascinated about, I did well. And Dr. Rohit was uh, also one of the faculty and practicing member of Swiss Management Forum uh, that was based out of Zurich. So it is a small boutique type of consultancy and he focused a lot on change management. And so he wanted to perhaps do a setup where he would have his office represented in Singapore. 
it was a step into a very unique area of consultancy that dealt with change management. Um, and, and not many consultancies specialize in that. Second of all, it was a pure setup um, where we were moving, or LEC was moving his office or having a representation office here in Singapore, and there was nothing in place. Um, and I thought that was a great learning opportunity because nothing is set in stone. Uh, you have a reference point of what is happening in Zurich. I had to set everything up from administration, looking for clients. And I think that was one of the main reasons why I took on that role, um, because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But I wanted to have an opportunity that allowed me to perhaps have my hands and feet in a few areas. So Dylan's stint in Swiss Management Forum got him exposed to hospitality. And spoiler alert, he spent the next nine years within the hospitality industry. At that time, no one even knew how you could go into hospitality. And truthfully, Dylan didn't know as well. All he knew was that he was a business student and consultant by trade. Nobody in school had spoken about hospitality. And I sort of fell into misconception because I've always then therefore assumed that you have to be trained in hotels or a training host hospitality before you could go into the hotel business. And clearly that wasn't the case. So I decided that if I had never even thought about exploring hospitality, why not? Um, and I went in and I was very fortunate enough that uh, it resulted in me landing a role with the Fullerton Hotels and Resorts. And it's a unique industry in itself. Uh, it's an entire sector that serves to uh, provide experiences to people who are travelers, to the, the mine sector, etc. So it's a, it was a legit business unit. And I went into that role and I, I, I was fascinated by what it takes to run a hotel. And I essentially cut my teeth in Fullerton for about four and a half years. The periods that followed Fullerton was when Dylan truly supercharged his learning. For one, he managed to get a scholarship from the Singapore Tourism Board. And he did his Master's in Hospitality Management in Cornell University, graduating on the Dean's List on a roll. He also spent close to five years in Starwood, managing 300 hotels with over 75,000 people across regions of Japan, Korea, Guam, Thailand, Vietnam, and Cambodia. During that time, he was promoted twice, and he went from specific centers of excellence in HR into broader HR. But if you're confused about what all this means, don't worry about it. Truthfully, so were we. So here's Dylan explaining what this means in HR Talk. So there are several verticals in HR. You could be starting off a career as a generalist, which means you do end-to-end -end HR. Some people call it business partnering. Uh, some people call it HR generalist. That, that's one typical route. Um, there are alternative routes like being a specialist in, say, rewards or in learning development or in talent management or talent acquisition. Um, and my, my path uh, was through one of the verticals. So I started off in learning and development, which to today still is something that drives me and, and gives me my energy. Um, and I essentially broadened it out to a, a, a bigger functional family, so to speak, of talent management. And I, I think what I did was to, over time, ensure that I didn't just put my feet into a different vertical, but I gained mastery over it and got really good at it. Because I wanted to make sure that I didn't want to be a jack-of-all-trades and master-of-none. Thanks, Dylan. We're actually in a critical juncture. In the midst of Dylan's journey, he had a moment that changed his perspective in his career at Starwood. 
I reached a stage where I had a appreciation that led to my career moment, I suppose. Because every single vertical is essentially reported to the head of HR. I had a very, very um, beautiful career moment with my direct manager and was very focused on understanding what is it exactly that I wanted to do, um, how I wanted to manage my career. And I was very open about it. I said, well, then if all wrote leads to the head of HR role, then I suppose that's that role that I want to go into because that's where I move out of the expertise of running a vertical and, and by that point in time, several verticals and then becoming a journalist again. I think it was a mix of me saying I'm ready. Um, it was important that I had a manager who to today remains my sponsor. Um, who was willing to take a bet on me and was clear of my potential to do well as well, um, who sort of created a path for me, um, as well as making sh- me making sure that I sort of lived up to my end of the promise and really perform and deliver. And the organization therefore saw that potential and promise in the way I delivered. So it was a mix of three things that sort of came together and it happened. And then I, I didn't just step into the head of HR role um, immediately. So I, I was taking on that role while also running the three COEs. So you could imagine, right? So it's, it's stepping on various engines and testing out what this looks like. Um, and I suppose some people will say, well, that's crazy. Um, yeah. You're doing too many things at the same time. But I always firmly believe that if it is something that fascinates you and drives you and gives you energy, it doesn't feel like work. And I think... If there's any tip that I could share with folks who are graduating, I, I would say hunt for your first uh, direct manager or boss. I knew of who my direct manager in Starwood was, and I sort of sought him out because I did my internship with him. And I sort of did uh, what people would call a realistic job preview. So I went in as an intern. And I sort of understood the culture in Starwood, and I was amazed by what it was. I loved it. Um, and I, I didn't just step in and say, oh, can I be an intern? I, I researched on it. I spoke to colleagues who were from there who did the master's with me. I sort of found my opportunities and, and, and went for it. It was a pretty useful tip for us, the idea of hunting for your manager. But how do you even know if the manager is worth fighting for? First and foremost, get to know them, right? That's the start of any conversation. Right. Um, and in getting to know them, I suppose what I did was, um, look, I had the usual interviews where they were speaking to me and trying to sense me out. And I wasn't just going to let it be a um, one directional interview where they were hiring me. I was sort of understanding who they are. And before I went for my interviews, I also did my own research to understand who they are, what people were saying about them. And, you know, I did my usual groundwork and my research. It was two ways. Um, And I suppose when you actually have a face-to-face interview, you're sort of putting a face to the name and your research. And and I always feel it's about making sure that there's a level of chemistry. I, I don't want to sound amphibious, but I think your gut instinct typically tells you whether the person <laughs> across the table is somebody you could work with or right. you cannot. So we were having an offsite. And it was over an evening where we said, hey, so this is me when you're in. And he was talking about how I've been faring and how we seem to be connecting. And it was that moment. It was that moment I could still remember uh, how we brought our relationship to the next level. So. I've always believed that with all the folks who've taken bets on me, that I've taken an approach of investing in those relationships. Because sometimes we feel that managers should look after us. Right. I have a recurring right. view because I think uh, while they're looking after you, it, it is a reciprocal relationship and I should do my best to also look after them. So now you know what works for Dylan. 
get to know your managers, and always remember to take care of them every now and then. After spending nine years in hospitality, he decided to make a pivot into another industry, beauty and Sephora. This was the first time that Dylan learned pivoting can be hard, even if you were the head of HR. I had exited the hospitality industry with the beautiful and firm belief that HR is a skill set that could cut across industries. And boy, was I wrong. Because then I was seen as, oh, but you have therefore a lot of years in the hotel sector. And so it might be difficult for you to learn a new sector. And when I was on the other side of the fence, I was like, that's not true. But when I was looking for roles uh, outside of my outside of the hotel sector, it was difficult. Um, I was basically stereotyped or, or marked as the hotel guy. Huh. When Safra was looking for somebody, they didn't want someone who was typical uh, to retail because they wanted somebody that could build um, an organization. Uh, they wanted somebody to be able to help scale them up into, or at least with Sephora Southeast Asia, scale the business, double growth, uh, double the headcount, while not losing touch with the DNA of being agile, innovative, and service-oriented. And look, I did all that when I was in Starbucks. So, so it was an organization that was uh, forward in not just looking at my background before making a decision, but saying what I can do to make a difference. And I went in. And I did what I could. It was an interesting moment for me too because um, Star Wars was obviously bought out by Marriott and I was on the, on the other end of being bought out. And in this case, Sephora's proposition was where they had just bought a e-commerce startup back then known as Luxola. So this is me giving myself the opportunity to say, hey, this is where you learn the acquisition part of the MNA where you are the acquirer. At that time, while Sephora was a global brand, it was decentralized in its operating model, which meant that Dylan had complete freedom to do whatever he wants within a framework. Five years later, he thought of expanding his sectoral knowledge again, which meant leaving his comfort zone of beauty that he just got used to. At that moment, his phone buzzed. There was an executive search, and he was found suitable to be the VP of Human Resources in Adidas. We've finally arrived at the present day, where we already know how insane his calendar really is. Remember? It started off the day with me connecting with somebody who's in Portland, uh, and she's a counterpart in learning and development. And that's my update third this morning. So we had to ask him, how exactly does he keep this up? What about work-life balance? Tough question to answer. This is my perspective. If you see a divide between work and life, the divide will always exist. And because the divide exists, you're always trying to find a balance between what's work and what's life, right? So um, many years ago, uh, a, a very respected colleague of mine, who was a teacher, in, in, in my opinion, to me, called me out on it. It's like the moment you start to call it a work-life balance, you're always going to be in a struggle because you're either trying to do your best at work at the expense of life or trying to seek life's uh, to the best of your ability at the risk of not doing work well. And, and that's a myth. I think it's important to find what you love doing and ensuring that that's also what you are really great at doing and making sure that there's an organization that needs that skill sets and that's willing to pay you for it. So if you bring this back to the Japanese philosophy of the reason of being, right. is that when the four quadrants collide, then you're not looking for work-life balance. When the four quadrants collide, it's just balance. And, and look, 
there will be moments in life where one shifts or the other. Um, and it's a kaleidoscope approach that things would be in tandem. So if one tips over, then another one has to be tipped in order to accommodate. As long as you're aware about this and you're essentially trying to ensure that you get back to something that fits you well, then you get balance. Mm. So if you stay alive, do you just see yourself at the beach and having a mojito or do you see life as also you uh, doing meaningful work and getting paid for it? Because I actually see that. And I see a lot of myself and derive a lot of self-value and psychological aspirational fulfillment by doing a good piece of work and getting paid for it. To me, that's life. Um, And I think more and more people are seeing that and more and more organizations are beginning to acknowledge that. I mean, you see this making sense, right? If you love the things that you're doing, you wouldn't exactly feel like you're working. But this begs the question for us though, is this what it takes to become a position of seniority? That we must somehow view work as life and love it the very same way. I think hitting a level of seniority has nothing to do with the way you see life. I think hitting a level of seniority is a mix of a few things. It's about what you bring to the table, what you value, uh, the work that you do and how it impacts an organization. Because people don't get promoted or go to senior roles just because. Uh, You certainly don't get into senior positions just because you hold a certain life philosophy or a value. Although some people do, right? For me, if I look at folks across sufficient organizations that I've, I've been around with, uh, they reach senior positions because the work they do gives them tremendous meaning. They actually enjoy what they're doing. Uh, they carry a fair level of frustration with the work that they do because they want to get a good piece of work done. But when you manage an organization in senior roles, life is not a walk in the park. There are people to influence. There are naysayers that you have to get around and influence. Uh, there are decisions that are bounded by parameters like budget or headcount or net sales, etc. Uh, but what I've learned is that they've seemingly accepted it as a vocation and a sense of purpose. Uh, but what's very similar across this group of people who are successful for me are people who uh, derive meaning, like I said. Uh, there are people who are able to make very complex information very simple for people to understand. Uh, because in the leadership role, uh, that's your job. They have an innate sense of direction and, and, and enabling people and rallying people to a cause. They inspire folks in different ways. And they have a true point of view as a leader sometimes. And we sometimes equate leadership to very senior roles, although the two are not the same. I've seen people who are in senior roles uh, who are not exactly leaders and, and, and people don't want to follow them except for the fact that they carry a title. Mm. Um, and that's my point of view. So if you're aspiring to a senior role, are you aspiring because it's senior or are you aspiring to the work that comes behind it? Okay. Because we're all affected by things that are shiny, right. things that have titles, uh, the premise of a corner office, uh, etc. And, and there's, there's certain things that we make stuff out of. Um, but I've seen people who are leading NGOs and look, they're not getting paid. And if they do get paid, it is not what drives them. Uh, but I find that there's always this need to shortcut this process. Like, tell me what's the secret juice behind zero to hundred. Like, how yeah. do I get there and find life purpose? Yes. All in two, <laughs> two seconds. We had to go through a process. Uh, we had to build skill sets, uh, life muscles, and that took time. Um, and there's always going to be this uh, divide between um, life experiences and what you bring to the table. But we must acknowledge that life experiences helps give perspective. Well, to be fair, I do like shiny objects. And maybe I've been chasing the wrong things all along. Anyways, based on Dylan's own experience, it seems that positions of seniority 
requires us to do four things. First, to accept that it is a process to get there. And a rocket pace and position demands a rocket amount of effort. Two, work to align and derive meaning in your work. And maybe, just maybe, it wouldn't feel like work. Three, develop the skills to simplify complexity because things at the top will be complex. And four, build our innate sense of direction to be a leader rather than just a title. We also thought given Dylan's position in Adidas, it might make sense to ask him what makes Adidas a great place to work in. To those who don't know, Adidas has been consistently ranked top in Singapore's best employers list. In fact, it was ranked top three for a number of years straight. One of the things that I love about Adidas is that it is an organization with a culture which doesn't have heirs. Um, I've seen very senior folks who grew up to um, new hires or, or folks um, in the organization with a level of affability and, and people are just nice. Uh, they're genuine about what they do. Um, everybody really likes to put in an honest day worth of work. And, and I suppose when you find that that is a red thread that cuts across everybody, it almost becomes a culture, uh, a sense of ethos. And nothing beats more than finding people who are similar in that sense. And it almost becomes a heartbeat that runs through the organization. So that's one. Number two, Adidas is quick to understand where it needs to change and shift and adjust and pivot. And as I speak, I'm running three different transformations across the remit I'm looking at, wow. uh, tied back to the recent five-year strategy that was launched. So it's an organization that's quick on its feet. Uh, it's a big global brand, uh, but it doesn't behave like a global giant uh, in, in ways like this, where we pivot and we jump and we are agile. It's where I, I see uh, an organization that is nimble and nimble is... I suppose that the premise of what it means to be agile, to be fast, to be quick. Um, and it is very much like that from a cultural perspective. And I suppose the sense of purpose for Adidas, which is the, the, the true core belief that sports uh, can have such a huge impact and can change people's lives. I, I think it has resonated very clearly given the past one to two years. In the past, everybody knows that, okay, health, wellness, and nutrition are important. Uh, but if you think about it, if I were to use a simple example, like last year when we had the circuit breaker lockdown and when gyms were closed or when uh, public health facilities were, were, were closed, people just found a natural way to just say, I need to exercise still. And people were out finding opportunities to run, to climb and to exercise. And, and the notion of not just physical health, but mental health uh, clearly became the forefront as to what's important in people's lives, right? It's not just about eating well. It's not just about exercising well. It's about thinking right. well and feeling well. And that's, that's the composites of what performance is. And, and Adidas as an organization, it's all about the performance and well-being of an individual. Um, and whether you're somebody in merchandising or in the retail stores or like me in HR, the end customer is that person who hopes, hopefully wears the three stripes of Adidas. And in what we do and provide, helps that person meet that goal. If I look at folks in Adidas, if I see some of the even more senior folks compared to me, uh, they've been around for many years. It speaks to the fact that people can build careers in Adidas over a distinct period of time, cutting across geography and functions. 
And I think if you think about what keeps the workforce engaged and why it is an exemplary organization, uh, there, there are many things that we talk about engagement and, and engagement is about making sure that people connect with the brand, that managers are there, making sure that they impact their direct reports lives, that people have access to tools and information and equipment to do the jobs well, uh, that people resonate with the compass of the organization. And I suppose if you do these things generally well, uh, people are happy and engaged. Right. And I suppose if you have a cohort of people who, who just jive and, and love doing that together, uh, it just radiates outwards. Right? I think that's why Adidas is sort of growing and happy and, and thriving. And that's why in terms of rankings and how people see Adidas, uh, that we've emerged as um, the top three. With Dylan walking us through, what was behind his LinkedIn? Behind his moves across hospitality to beauty and finally in Adidas. The challenges that we didn't know a head of HR would face when pivoting. His perspectives in career and his sharing on why Adidas resonates deeply with him. At the very end, we asked him for an unfiltered advice if he has anything to share with you the listeners of One Foot In. And here's what he had to say. It's always very important to ensure that if you want to be successful in life, that you truly find what is it that resonates with you. So for some people, it's work, or for some people, it's uh, sports. Uh, for some people, it's culinary. I've just seen too many people go through life and then re- dis- discover the later age where it is no longer the true calling. And it's not wasted time, uh, but I suppose everybody wish, wishes that it could get there faster and sooner. We all have paths that we walk. And I know this sounds very philosophical. Um, I remember that I started off my journey in architecture. And then I, when I made a pain, painful decision to switch out of architecture, many people were going like, oh, are you a mid-career switcher really early on in your life? But guess what? Uh, and, and I've said this to many people, and, and this is the reason why I love what I do. Because when I was in architecture, I was lost in time. I love the work that I did. And today is the same thing in HR. Uh, but I've just likened the two together because today I see myself as an architect of organizations, architect, um, the, the structures of tomorrow, people's lives, people's careers. And I draw the two together. And so moments in my journey where I felt that it was perhaps a segue or a, a, a lane that deviated, they all added to where I am today. And there were moments where I made mistakes. There were moments where I could have done things faster or differently and, and led to the same outcome. But I didn't beat myself up for it. Um, I just understood then that it wasn't meant for me or it wasn't my time or I had to do it my way to therefore reach the same outcome. But for me, what matters more is whether I reach the outcome. So for some people, it's five seconds. Um, and some people, they take 20 years or a lifetime to find it and they don't. Uh, but I suppose I just would want to wish our listeners to be able to find their true calling and their ikigai and, and, and find it when it's the time for them to find it. And I think when you sit there and, and you enjoy the work that you do or the life in which it manifests to you, then it's just going to become more enjoyable. Thanks, Dylan. To all those that are listening, this is One Foot In. And this is how Dylan made it as the VP of Human Resources in Adidas. 